in a world where... Nah, this ain't that kind of podcast. Let's be honest, the world doesn't need another podcast where we ask the same old questions to the same successful people. You're listening to the Profit and Impact Podcast with Nev Harris. Grab a seat at the table as Nev and his guests dig into the challenges that successful agencies and freelancers have overcome to achieve their success. There's no script, and Nev's insatiable curiosity and ADD can take the conversation anywhere. So let's get real and have some honest talk, lots of laughs, and some helpful insights into what it really takes to create more profit and impact in your business. All right, we're back with another episode of the Profit and Impact Podcast with me, Nev Harris. My guest today is Bet Hannon. Now, I know, Bet, we, we, we've seen each other in the GoWP Happy Hour, one of my favorite events of the week. You know, I love those people, and it's just a really great way to wind down. Um, and then you get to meet really cool, interesting people like Bet. Say hi, Bet. Oh, thanks. Good to be here. Yeah. <laughs> now, Bet is the CEO of Bet Hannon Biz Websites, and she's been helping people with websites since 2008. And it's an interesting story we're going to dig into. Now, she's always grown 100% remote agency with a focus on custom integrations. And I like to call her the accessibility queen. And we're going to jump into that, too, because I think accessibility is there's there's a lot of cool stuff to talk about there. And I don't know that much about it, but I know there are some actually also some really cool tax breaks that actually Bet knows a little bit more about how to fill out and everything like this. I've wanted to do this podcast for a very long time, and I finally found the person that could give you value on it. So um so let's jump back to 2008, the financial crisis. Bet you started an agency, you know, um, because you saw an opportunity, right? You were, you were in yeah. the nonprofit world for a while. And- yeah, I've been uh, in nonprofit management for about 15 years. And then uh, the last few years before I was laid off in 2008, I had been doing some email newsletters and some drag and drop websites for the organization that I work for. And um, when my position was downsized, my family needed to stay, um, you know, in the same city. And so uh, I kind of stumbled into freelancing a little bit. And then that sort of gradually grew into an agency and uh, haven't looked back. And from the very beginning, we were 100% remote, uh, always uh, had an office at home and uh, never seemed to need that. Even, uh, you know, I guess if I had local clients in those early days, I would uh, meet them in the coffee shop, but they didn't seem to think that was uh, weird. And of course, uh, when the pandemic came and everybody started working remote, we just stopped explaining what Zoom was. So we, <laughs> we, we just kept doing what we were doing. So I love that. Yeah, the, the, the pandemic just allowed us to stop explaining what Zoom was. Yes. And also, if you remember, I don't know if you felt it this way, too. Like I, I've run a remote business, too. And um, it was like then all these people were in our sandbox screwing everything up. <laughs> You know, like Zoom would crash and, you know, like all the rest of the apps, you know, like Loom started, changed their pricing structure. You could no longer use it for free for free. And I'm like, like, get out of my sandbox. No, no, it was it was kind of nice because, you know, we could provide some value and really uh, be able to tell people, you know, oh, use Calendly to set up appointments, get, get, you know, here's how to do that. Here's how to connect it so that when someone signs up on Calendly, it'll create the Zoom call. Right. So all of those kinds of walking people through how you do some of this stuff. And so, yeah, no, it was good. We're uh, you're just trying to help people along. So. 
So yeah, I think that I think that's. That, but that's I'm so great. glad we're leaving the days. You know, for a while we used to do uh, try to do Skype, and that was a disaster, <laughs> right? Because the, the client <laughs> yeah. needs to have their own Skype account, and then they have to connect with you, and then they have to be there to answer. Oh, it was, yeah, it was a disaster. So Zoom did, was so much better. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did one podcast on Skype interview and i was like i was like <laughs> i'm like i'm in tech and i don't know how to connect to this thing i said i have a skype i have a, I had a skype account from an old hotmail account that i had way back in the day i was like uh, yeah, yeah it was, it was a nightmare yeah, yeah, no, so um but you know that that's that, that's one interesting thing i found too is like i had a business in my 20s um and uh it was a mortgage company and we were an ethical mortgage company i i um which was really hard to find back in those days but um I had an office and I had about $11,000 in overhead and it was nothing because we were like closing like 40 some loans a month. But then when the financial crisis hit and we weren't closing and we had 28 loans that were supposed to close in the next two weeks and none of them closed, it became really hard to pay $11,000. So um, I never made that mistake yeah, again. Not having that overhead is huge, right? And so, you know, but you develop some some ways that you can kind of begin to, you know, some things that are unique to remote businesses. So I was just responding, James Laws was putting out some things about uh, remote workers and PTO, right? When you have, uh, he was, his context was when you have people in various countries who all have different holidays, instead of trying to observe holidays, you just give everybody PTO and then they can do it you know, do with what they want. Our team is entirely US based, but we've done that for years. So like you have, X amount of PTO that kind of accumulate, you know, and actually I put a limit on how much they can accumulate because it's important to me that people are taking time off. Um, but, you know, you can put in, um, we had an employee last week who worked on Thanksgiving because she doesn't really do Thanksgiving with her, you know, her family. That's okay. She could work then. She could take off other times. So giving people that flexibility for is one thing, you know, when you're remote that gives you a chance to do that. You don't feel like you've got to make people be there or be gone from there to fit holiday schedules. And, um, you know, uh, it's, you know, we, we do some allowances for people to get equipment and that kind of stuff. So I love that. Cause you, you take, you take care of your team that takes care of you. Exactly. And and they take care of your clients. And I think that's, that's so important. I think in today's day, and this is, this is one of the things that I think has gone completely off the rails with capitalism is we're like, they're so, um, they're, they're, they're so convinced that they need to like cut all the costs possible that they end up, you know, not taking care of their employees. And they're the people that take care of your clients. And if you want your business to grow, you want your clients to be happy. You want the people taking care of your clients to be happy and care and want to stay and want, and, you know, and you I know, think that's... You, you mentioned capitalism bef- before. I've heard you say that. And do you, do you know the, um, I think it's called conscious capitalism. Do you know that movement? So I uh, know it's, it's, it's a, it's a movement of folks who are um, business entrepreneur driven folks, but they're not quite B Corp, but talking about, you know, basically business for good, right? Building businesses to create good in the world. Create, uh, not just creating value to earn money, but uh, but making changes in the world. And so there are, uh, you can read up, you can find a website and there's like, a, you know, some 
not quite manifestos, but you know, some, some <laughs> writings around some of those kinds of things. Those are great. And then there are some increasing organizations like um, Impact Entrepreneurship uh, is, a, is a, um, a blog and, and they talk a lot about you know, making changes in the world through your entrepreneurship. Um, I belong to an organization called SheEO, um, oh, which, like is, which is um, women um, entrepreneurs and also investors who are uh, building companies and a network for, um, they talk about um, uh, doing the world's agenda and they use the UN uh, sustainable development goals as kind of the hallmarks for the companies that they are supporting and, and working with every and that includes everything from you know healthcare racial justice kinds of pieces and housing and homelessness and all kinds of uh, things and so there's you know there's a growing I think interest in having um, uh, helping business uh, invest in communities and invest in people and uh, build people up and not just suck them dry and so while capitalism, can be all that uh, you can be kind of cynical about it it doesn't have to be i think and that's for me a hopeful thing so oh yeah no i think there's a lot of and <clears throat> you know i know um there's like stakeholder capitalism that um that's talked out uh, talked about a lot um is the opposite of shareholder uh capitalism and there's uh, there's also like more socialistic kind of principles but i believe that you know like and all those kind of things like b corp is saying hey we're, we're our mission is not to like maximize shareholder value our mission is to do good yeah. you know yeah. so we might be less profitable but we're going to do better i believe that you don't have to draw that distinction i believe that the way to actually maximize shareholder values the shareholders that care to stay involved in a company and not the ones that just want to make money this month, but the ones that want to make money over the next three to five years is to care about all those, you know, to care about those, to care oh, about yeah. social issues, to care about your employees, to care about your clients, to care about your community. And then in the long run, you actually do maximize shareholder value because everything just starts clicking because I, I, I think a lot of, yeah. without getting into that, um, uh, um, a big rant on this, but I think a lot of it is our time frame has become too short and how we're trying to maximize value. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I mean, if we were making decisions, if I was making decisions on what to eat right now, I might say, I want McDonald's. And then for dinner, I might say, I want McDonald's and I want, Mc but then the long run, I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to feel like take crap. the bigger, bigger view. Yeah. 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 And so I we think that's what we're lacking. Uh, you know, one of the one of the things when I talk about accessibility, I talk about um, it's a uh, it's a commitment. It's an investment in your branding that that more and more people are also um, values driven buyers. Right. So uh, there's a study and I don't remember the guy. He, do, he does this thing about values driven buyers that their research shows that about 60, 66 percent, 64 percent of all consumers around the world will either buy or boycott a product or service based on their perception of the values of the company. And, and that that's a very high number. And that part of what you're talking about is being conscious of, you know, your values as a, a, a company, a service provider, a, you know, a producer, 
um, so that you're you're thinking ahead about those things that you're establishing those values. One of those values can be, for instance, you know, making things accessible, but other values can be, you know, human rights or you know all, all kinds of other things. So, yeah, no, I'm 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 right there with you, and yeah. um, but I like switching gears. So I want to come back to sure. the accessibility, but I want to touch on something because it's something also that I feel pretty passionate about, and what you you do so well is um, you made a decision that you were telling me about five, six years ago to not, because I think there's this, such this, you know, every coach, every Facebook ad, everything is like scale, 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 scale. You have to run a big business. You have to have a lot of people. And this is almost like how many people do you have working for you is a measure of your worth as a company where I think that and I love and I want to hear you talk about this because I don't think you have to scale. I think because you, you just have to, you know, price right and you just have to make the decision. Like, I don't want the hassle that comes with a big team. So, can right. you t- talk about that? Well, so part of it depends on, you know, if you're an agency owner, you're starting an agency or you're e- even like at a point of self-reflection about the agency, right? Because you could change gears. Um, I think if you you have to decide, you know, are you building something that you want to sell or have acquired, right? Are you building, are you building a business that's large enough that you're going to get it acquired? So you probably need to have, you know, your gross revenue needs to be, you know, between one and 2 million at least, if not more, right? And so if you're going to do that, you probably have to have a larger agency. If what you want though, is really, you wanna do good work, you wanna be fairly small, maybe you'll get acquired, but it won't, that's not the primary value for you. Um, you, you really just um, wanna make um, a decent living, treat your people right, pay your people well. Um, then you're looking at a different kind of scale. And I really do think, you know, the more people you have on the team, the more complex those teams are to manage, right? There are people who do that really well. Um, I I don't want to take that on, I think. I mean, I made a strategic decision not to take that on. We have a fairly small team. Partly that means that our clients really get... um, you know, more of a kind of personal touch. They know everybody on the team. They meet everybody on the team. Um, Where in a bigger agency, if you have, you know, one project manager and there's five or six or eight people working on that project, um, you know, the client may never actually meet anybody beyond that one um, uh, project manager. Uh, and, And that's okay. Um, If the project manager is doing their job well, the client will feel well taken care of. But, it's not where we wanted to go, I think, in terms of all of that. And it's just, uh, uh, you know, it, it always is a transition when you trans- when a person starts an agency and you start um, moving out of doing everything yourself and having your employees or your contractors start taking over more and more, right? And so you want to just, I just felt like I wanted to stay, still stay a little close to what was happening with that in terms of... Um, just, I like getting to know the clients, right? And, uh, you know, continue to be uh, interacting with them somewhat. Um, I don't do the day-to-day stuff with them anymore at the same level, but but I'm in the loop and I know what's happening with their projects um, in a way that, you know, a bigger agency CEO probably wouldn't. But, um, 
no, I, I, I think there's some value in, in remaining small. You can be nimble. You can take on new things. Mm-hmm. You can, um, you can pivot your team if you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for, for all of those reasons, try to be intentionally I... small, but mighty. <laughs> and it's, it's smaller in revenue, but higher in profit. <laughs> Because I think, you know, you could you could have a one million dollar agency that's making like less and that, and that the owner's making less than one hundred thousand. Oh, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Revenue is really just dis- often disconnected from 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 profit mm-hmm. or net. Right. Yeah. You can you can really do that. You know, you uh, I think a healthy agency is making about a, you know, if if you're doing really great, you're getting like a 20 percent margin, probably um, you, you're you're aiming for that. Um, you're trying to, uh, that's after paying everybody and you're trying to kind of keep reinvesting some of that uh, as you're not necessarily growing the agency in terms of scale, but you want to keep investing in the agency in terms of training for people. Uh, you, there's always some kind of turnover. So you're needing to train, uh, you know, people, um, those kinds of investments in, you know, continuing to uh, figure out where you're going to plug in next, right? What's, what's the next around the corner. So, I mean, that's, that's a conscious decision for me. Um, we, you know, we, we kind of stepped out, we did a lot of stuff. We've been doing a lot of stuff with accessibility. I think there's still a lot to do with accessibility in terms of helping, you know, educate, but also then, you know, work that needs to be done for clients. But at the same time, I do think that, Within three to five years, accessibility will become kind of like what mobile responsive is now. No self-respecting developer will put something out that's not got website accessibility, at least the basics baked into it. So when I started hearing myself say that, I'm thinking, oh, in three to five years, that um, uh, you know that flag for our agency is going to be smaller, probably. Right. So we want to continue to think about where not we're not going to put all our eggs in that basket. We will continue to do, for example, custom integration development. Um, we'll continue to do, you know, building out membership systems, those kinds of things. Right. So we'll continue to do some of those things if we do only, you know, that's the thing when you're niching. Right. If you niche, you need to think about is that niche going to be there. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so. I absolutely want us to continue to doing stuff, do stuff with accessibility. I think it will be an extremely um, healthy niche for us for at least three to five years, if not maybe a little bit longer. But I also want us to continue to, you know, uh, think about what what other thing alongside needs to happen there. So, so that brings up something very interesting. Well, and and I'm going to ask you this question, and then I have a follow-up question to it sure. too, where I'm leading. But um, what do you think of these plugins for accessibility? Oh my gosh! Don't get me started. <laughs> okay, um, so um, there are uh, numerous plugins out there that purport to you know you just put the plugin in your WordPress site, or you put one line of code JavaScript in another type of platform, and they purport to bring, make your site accessible. Well, those plugins use AI to do that. Um, and so they're they're basically automating 
the AI testing tools that you can use. And we know that those testing tools only find about 30% of accessibility issues. There's a lot of accessibility issues that where there's gray area, right? Where um, you wanna make sure that you have alt text on every image, but if it's a purely decorative image, like it's a, you know, a, a fancy spacer bar, you don't put alt text on that, right? So, so they can look and those, those testers can look and see whether, whether you have an alt text there, but not whether it's good alt text. And uh, so that's one thing. Uh, another thing is that context matters. And that's, that will always be human testing that's needed. Um, the other is often, um, if a person is disabled and dependent on particular accessibility devices or, or tools, um, they already have them installed on their machine. So if, uh, if they are a person who's um, legally blind and needs to have the screen magnified, they have their own magnifier. But if that tool that, that the overlay, and they, those are called overlay plugins. So if the tool the overlay plugin uh, puts there can conflict with the person's own tool, rendering both of them useless. So I know um, there are people with disabilities who say they block the, uh, I don't know if you want me to name names, but they block the sure. IP address for accessibility at their router level so that they never have to deal with those tools, right? So disabled people are blocking what you're trying to do to help them. Think about that, right? <laughs> That's not so helpful. Um, three, they're using JavaScript to make those changes. So it slows down your site almost always. So lots of reasons. If you go to overlayfactsheet.com, I think it's just overlayfactsheet.com. It gives a really detailed explanation of what the, what the overlay plugins are, how they work, why they're problematic. And then that, uh, that one page site is signed by over 600 accessibility professionals, including myself and our team. So right, well, why they are a bad thing. They're not a great thing. They make it, they purport to make it easy. Also, if you get sued, it's all in the fine print that they do not stand with you. They make it sound <laughs> like you got everything covered, but they leave you out to dry if you're, um, and, and pretty dramatically so in some of the cases that we've seen. So, um, so they're not, a, it's not unfortunately an easy fix. Now, the one time, the one use case for those kind of plugins is if you have, um, so the first step in getting sued, if you're getting sued for your website accessibility is to get what's called a demand letter. Basically, it's a letter from an attorney that says, hey, we've noticed your site isn't accessible. You have X amount of days to make it accessible or we will take you to court. And so um, the, the one use case for those sorts of plugins is a temporary stopgap while you're getting everything underneath it fixed, right? If you're, you have an active lawsuit and you're just trying to like scramble to get everything done underneath, uh, underneath the hood. So um, yeah. You got me on my soapbox there. So. <laughs> so now, 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 now let me let you get off your soapbox and get out your crystal ball. Ooh. So, um, right. So if, if the plugins today aren't a solution and you see this being like mobile accessibility in three to five years, like take a wild ass guess. How do we get from there here to there? Right? Yeah. I'm just, just well, cause like this, this, this interests me. So I'm asking this question. You might be like, no, it's a great the spot. I have no idea, but it's a great question. So um, part of it is an education process. And um, 
you know, unfortunately, some of it is driven by fear, right? And so uh, you can get if when one prominent person in a particular niche or industry gets sued over accessibility, then everybody in that industry kind of has their awareness raised, they're fearful, they know they need to do something, right? So we saw that uh, food bloggers, a couple, two or three, two, two and a half years ago, very prominent food blogger got sued. Um, it's an interesting case because she had already done a lot of accessibility pieces on her site and she fought the case. Most of the time, these things just get settled. It's way cheaper. It would have been way cheaper for her probably just to settle. Um, but she fought um, and she won because she was able to prove that she had already done a lot of these things um, uh, in progress. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's an aware. And so then people in the food blog kind of communities are now all anxious about their, you know, accessibility and they're getting audits and they're working on remediation. And I think that will get replicated in other industries. We see lots of lawsuits now around, um, you know, it has to be places of public accommodation. So it tends to be things that have a, a brick and mortar presence of some kind. So things like museums, um, hospitals, uh, doctor's offices, hospitality industry places. So restaurants, for example, if you have a, uh, a restaurant and you publish your menu and you just put it up there as a PDF, but it's not a PDF that is accessible. In other words, it doesn't have the, you know, the, the landmarks, it's not got the correct heading structures, all of those kinds of things. Then theoretically you could be sued because um, the cases that I've seen where that's been going through are like, um, I don't know if you do this, but if I'm going to go out to lunch with somebody and it's a business lunch or even like new social kind of thing, the first time I look at the menu before I get there. So I don't have mm -hmm. to like spend a ton of time reading the menu. Well, think about how important that would be for a person who's blind, right? They want to know what's on the menu so they can plan ahead. They can order. If you don't, if, you, if your menu is a PDF that's not accessible, that's it, it kind of uh, leaves them out. Right. And so if you put your menu up at all, then you have to make it accessible. So people like that are getting sued. So as those kind of cases, niche by niche, kind of raise awareness, we will have more and more people doing the work of learning how to do this. Right. And more and more people are as they're hearing about accessibility. I think they understand developers are understanding that it's something they need to take seriously and start learning about. So my hope is I don't know if it's a crystal ball, but my hope is that more and more, we just start continuing to educate developers about the very basics of accessibility, right? How to put things in, how to make sure there are labels, the right, uh, you know, the right formatting, how to begin to do some basic testing for, um, you know, you can, all of the devices, uh, even screen readers come down to keyboard navigation, right? So if you've ever done like control S, control V, right? Uh, control C. Yep. Um, those are keyboard navigation. So there's like hundreds of those for people getting around websites. So if you want to test your website, you can start out by just loading up your website and then just try to get through your site using your tab and return key, tab and enter key, right? So you can tab, 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 and it should take you through different parts of your site and uh, should give you some options for skipping to the content at the very beginning. Um, but, you know, you can start to see how accessible your site is that way. And so we'll help developers learn some of those very basic pieces. And it'll just be, you know, what mobile responsive is today, right? People have to look at that and build that in and
learn how it works. A lot of the themes in the builders, though, have taken a lot of the heavy lifting into that. That's though. true. Do you? That's so true. what you're That's saying true. makes it seem like your niche would be even stronger when it becomes more pressing of an issue, not that well, it will be I more think, adapted by I, more I, people. I, I do think, you know, so in when you're talking about a WordPress site, there's two, two kind of um, buckets for looking at accessibility. And one of them is really driven by the theme, right? It's driven by like, does the theme have skip links? Those are the things like when I hit, when I go to my page and I hit the tab key, it should offer me a little link in the upper corner that says skip to content, skip to main content, right? So I can skip over the menu. Um, do, those things are generally included in the theme, right? So that's ha half of that bucket. The other half is picking plugins that are accessible. So the plugins will start to do some of the heavy lifting of that too, right? But, and then the third piece around the theme side of that has to do with color contrast, right? And things like making sure your links are set up. So you wanna make sure, for example, that the, the, color, the, the color font uh, is is a uh, got a good contrast compared to the background color, and there are some automated checkers for doing that. It's not hard to do. You just have to remember to do it, right? It's not mm -hmm. a huge technical piece. And then you want to make sure, for example, that you know how you do links, and you can make a link that is only color, right? It doesn't have an underline, right? The the color is only blue. Well, actually, that doesn't meet accessibility criteria. You have to have something else besides color because people are some people are colorblind right so mm -hmm. we're talking about not just blind people but a whole spectrum of things like so you have mm -hmm. to use you have to make sure you keep the underline and don't remove it if the theme already has that that you make sure that the color of the link contrasts well with the background of the you know of the, uh, the uh, that, that it's overlaid so those kinds of things those are all on the theme and development side and then we have the content side and that is really about you, the client needs to figure that out. If they're going to do their own content, you need to make sure that as you're putting content in, that it's, it's accessible, that you're putting in alt text, that you're using headings properly. So, so there's kind of like this divide between the content and content creation, which is some parts of development, right? You're building some of those things out as you're developing. But often we're handing things off to the client to do a lot of their own content, and they need to be educated about that as well. But you know, I do think it's not going to be too much more difficult than than the mobile responsive if people just know what to do. And there are some plugins, by the way, that will help to do some of that, especially around the content creation piece. So um, uh, Equalize Digital has a great plugin. There's a, as a, there's a paid plugin. There's as a paid plugin. Um, I think they may have a free level too that will check as you've written your con your poster page out and then you click when you go to click um, you know publish or, or save a draft it will do a quick automated check and show you where you've skipped headings or where the headings are out of order or where the you know where the um, the link text is ambiguous or uh, all of those kinds of things right okay. so they'll it'll do some checking so that helps a little bit yep. um, there's another one uh, we have uh, tried using uh, that has a free and a paid level. And so you can do, generally speaking for those, um, they'll let you, you install the plugin and then every new page or new time you're saving something, it'll check. And then at the paid levels, you can kind of retroactively check the content on the page, right? To all of your pages, right? Your whole site. 
So this sounds this sounds to me more like it's going to move towards where um, basic SEO is instead of mobile accessibility. It's just like you get set up like um, and I'm just this is just thinking off the top of my head. You get like there's people right now that will build a website for you that would not do don't have a clue about SEO will get content for their clients don't have a clue about SEO. They just put up a website. And then there's the people that know, hey, wait, that image should have some alt text. Wait, we, we should we should use the proper headers. We should only have H1, H1. We should use proper headers. We should we should use some keywords, not ever stuff it, but a, key, a keyword here and there. We should use some, you know, yep. semantics and, and whatnot. Keywords, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it seems like and that is become the for any decent web developer, web designer, that has become standard place. You know, yes. but there's a whole group of people that, you know, the $400 website that, you know, that you're going to pay for that, you know, that you're going to go offshore and get it done for 150 bucks. That's not going to have any of that. Do you see it going more towards there or do you see a solution more like the um, uh, mobile friendly stuff that's already built in? Yeah, I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe it is more like the SEO, at least right now, because people are, are um, you know, we have that disparity of, you know, the people that don't know anything, as well as the people that kind of have some experience and some under learning and skills for doing that, right? So um, I think, yeah, that's maybe a better analogy. But I, I like to use the analogy of mobile responsive because it, it truly is the case right now that no self-respecting web developer would put something together without it being mobile responsive. And I do think we will get to that point with SEO as well as accessibility, right? Nobody will, nobody really will put something out, no self-respecting, right? You know, <laughs> you, you can still get people that will throw together crap for you all the time, right? Yeah. But there's, yeah. there's a certain point, at, you know, I, and, and we kind of talked about this before, uh, you know, there's a, there's a certain aspect of you get what you pay for, mm-hmm. right? Um, if if somebody is going to do a you know an accessibility audit and it's going to cost you less than five hundred dollars, yeah, they're probably just running something automated for you, right? You know, you're <laughs> they're running that <laughs> automated report that you could run yourself, right? So, um, you know, getting getting a, a sense of what what things you know where the where the value is for you in terms of hiring people that have some experience and some skills to bring, whether that's SEO or whether that's accessibility or something else. So, yeah. So I, I, I kind of think, you know, um, it'll become less of a specialized niche, but you still might have a niche in the future for this. Cause I still, I could think of, Maybe. you know, Maybe. 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 Like it's like, I, I just love to speculate on the future and see, 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 see what, but you know, might here's be. the truth. The truth is none um, of us know. <laughs> well, the truth is none of us know, but um, we do, we do accessibility audits, but there are niches of people that we like, like, for example, when we've worked with some of the food bloggers, they have alongside them many other experts sometimes who have strong opinions quote unquote experts <laughs> well sometimes they're bona fide experts in their own field but they 
have opinions about what you're trying to do. And uh, I don't wanna, so it's sort of like sometimes the, the, the kind of the profit margin for us on those is small, what we really need to, uh, what we, the better profit margin for us is new, new or redeveloped new website builds, right? We're gonna redevelop a site or develop a new site. But so th that's where we wanna, that's our bread and butter. And, and we want people to come to do that, but doing the audits, we don't have as many people yet coming to us for new accessible development to make that a sustainable thing. Now that yeah. may change, it probably will change, but, um, but right now we're still kind of figuring that out. I don't know, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's kind of like, I don't have a crystal ball, but I don't That's know. why these we'll discussions see. are so fun. And then yeah. we can go back and listen to this in five years and realize how wrong we both were because some new technology came up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, and then, you know, uh, thinking ahead about, um, you know, where will my exit strategy be? You know, I'm over 55. So at some point on the horizon, when I'm 70, I'm chicken. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, yeah. Do I want to keep doing this forever? Probably. I kind of, but I kind of like the website builds and I like the, you know, the integrations and the custom development stuff. I don't do as much of that anymore, but I like working it out. I like puzzling it out and solving the puzzle for the client. So <laughs> but we probably will keep doing that too. So you told me a cool story and I think this is, and I think this is something that, because recurring revenue is huge. Everybody is, everybody wants to talk about recurring revenue. I think recurring revenue is tremendous. And you said something that, um, that you have this client that you work with. Um, it's that you're constantly doing um, uh, accessibility work for them. They're throwing stuff yeah. out. And I think this could be a good source of recurring revenue. It could be. Uh, yep. Yep. So there are, um, there are um, organizations. Uh, this is happens to be a water district in California. So it's a special district, which means that technically it's a part of the state government of California under its structure. And so they have a requirement. Um, Section 508 is the, is, is what is, um, that's the accessibility requirement for um, government agencies and anybody that takes government money. So for example, we have a startup we're building a site for where they just received a huge grant from the CDC. Well, as a part of that grant, getting that federal money, it means that now they have to, their site has to be section 508 compliant. So yeah, so we have this big agency. Um, they, um, you know, they do a ton of content creation. So, you know, part of the, the part of the puzzle there is that We've, we've mostly gotten most of those structural pieces uh, as accessible as we're getting them, we think, right? Mm -hmm. We're always finding something new as, as you know, you're always working on that. But they've got people over here churning out content and sometimes in not accessible ways, right? So, so, um, so they want to make sure that's part of their due diligence, part of their you know, risk reduction strategy is to have us come in uh, twice a year. We do an audit. Um, we, uh, we're looking at, you know, uh, we have like five, we have a bunch of custom post types in this site. There's a bunch of that kind of stuff. So we have five, you know, pages, posts, and then three other custom post types. 
And we come in and we just do the five most recent of each of them. And uh, we're looking at that, uh, you know, doing an audit of those pieces. And every time we find something new, we just discovered this week that, you know, there was, uh, they were copy pasting in a way that was bringing in a trackable link from constant contact that really should have been a link that was redirecting to their own website, right? So it's showing as an external link, but it's really an internal link, but it's also messing up their tracking, uh, you know, click-through rates. And so all of those kind of pieces, right? Yeah, you know, but it's like, I'm sure that the person doing that thought they were just saving time, right? They just, <laughs> they, it's like, sometimes it's, it's an ongoing education process with the client as a part of, that's in addition to the audit. So when we do an audit, we typically um, price that and do it by the number of URLs. So you can uh, have one page done, you can have a, you know, a five or 10 pages done or 25 pages done. Uh, and pages are views, URLs are views, because sometimes the view can change and the URL doesn't, right? You can have something changed via Ajax on the page. So we can, we typically price that. And then we write up a big report, a 20 page report of everything that we looked at, all the things that we checked, all the things that were good, all the things that were violations. And then we give an hour of consulting time. So then the client can come and we can help them understand the report. Typically, they give the hour to their um, their own developer or their own development team comes with them as a way of, you know, just getting consultation about how to fix this or that, right? And uh, and uh, we really enjoy that. I mean, I really think it's a great um, tool to, I, I love empowering those developers, right? Because we're not mm-hmm. taking away their work. We just want to help them. And, and we have actually good relationships with a number of development um, agencies where we help with everything from giving them feedback when they're first getting their developers to start working on accessibility uh, and the designers, the design team, especially, right? The design team comes up and they, we have uh, done this a couple of times where they'll just send us a mock-up before it goes out to the client and we'll say, oh, okay, that color contrast doesn't work. Um, this is too small. Uh, this is not going to work on mobile. And so we can kind of give them that accessibility feedback up front. You only really need to do that two or three times before the design people are like, oh, can't do that anymore. <laughs> I need to do that manual check, right? And they, they get it. And we love kind of helping people begin to do that. And then sometimes we just consult uh, in an ongoing way. Like, how do I, um, is, is this enough to get it in compliance? Good question, right? So we can help them uh, figure out, well, if we're going to try doing this, does, will this, now will this make it compliant? Because there's a lot of gray areas. So, yeah. Do you think, do you think that you could wrap this into care plans and have an accessibility tier in care plans? Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we probably could. We probably should pitch more for the people who have um, accessibility um, compliance needs. Um, so for example, that that startup that got the big CDC grant, their website really is not going to have a ton of content changes. They will do, put up new blog posts, but probably once a month. I mean, it's really more of a credibility piece for them. They're not, <clears throat> they don't even really need the SEO. So it's, um, it's a, um, you know, we, we probably wouldn't come back for them more than we would do a really small scale audit for you know just a handful of things for them over the course of a year, uh, but maybe we should pitch something to them coming back every year. Yeah, no, I could think about that more. I'm good. I'm good. Recurring revenue is good. 
<laughs> and then if if you weren't even doing it like that much or something like that, and if they were already on a care plan, you could increase it just a little bit. That and and it's pretty much you're breaking up. You know. The yeah, we give them a going. discount if they commit to do it over so so many periods. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. It's, it's, yeah, that's a good idea. I gotta. I'll kick that around. That's good. 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 Good thinking. <laughs> <laughs> the um, there fun are of the some, podcast. Uh, yeah, in terms of uh, business models, I mean, you mentioned it kind of at the outset, but um, there is an insurance plan. So you can get um, accessibility website accessibility insurance, and they have partnered ah. with a uh, against it. This is in the US. Um, they've partnered with a an accessibility firm where um, so you pay, and I think it's like, I think it's like $2,000 a year. And you get, you start out at $5,000 worth of coverage. And then pretty quickly, like within a few days, you could get to um, <clears throat> probably like 25,000. You, you step up, the, the premium stays the same, but you step up the coverage as you meet different milestones to show that you're, you know, you're, you're dealing, you've got these you checked off the, these things related to accessibility. And then finally, the, you know, the content, of course, is the last one, take you up to $50,000 worth of coverage, which is a decent amount for, um, you know, if you got sued, and if you were in a, a high, you know, risk um, for, for having that happen, you know, then maybe that would be worthwhile. I don't know. Um, but, but they work with this, uh, there's a team that they work with you to kind of coach you through a lot of that. Um, and uh, Nebula Media is the is that firm, and so you know there's some places where you can do things like that to to help people kind of. I think you can get the insurance policy without the coaching too. So you know it's it's a possibility to to do that. But um, so we had insurance, and then uh, oh, you also mentioned the tax break in the U.S. Um, people who are not government or taking government money get sued for website accessibility under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So ADA under the yep. um, uh, equal uh, access kind of uh, public access. So you get sued under ADA. Well, there's a tax break um, that was originally put in place to help, for instance, like a brick and mortar store put in a ramp, right? And so if you make an accessibility improvement you can get back up to 50% of that cost um, up to $10,000. So up to 5,000, you know, you get back up to a $10,000 expense. So that's to be mm -hmm. at least 500 up to $10,000. So um, up to five, it's, you get up to five, right? You could get but, up to 5,000 back, but the expense but yeah. can be up to 10, right? So yep. you get 50% back. And, um, and it, 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 you can get that for anything related to your website that improves accessibility. So if you have a website redesign and accessibility is part of the improvement, you can go ahead and take that. It, you just really need to make sure whoever's doing that for you on the invoice puts it super clear that, you know, uh, you know website, you know, redesign project uh, delivered at, you know, WCAG 2.1 AA, you know, accessibility standards, right? So whatever that, or accessibility compliance included or whatever that is, something about accessibility. And then, so the person has to, the client has to pay out the full price. And then the next year when they're doing their taxes, they uh, fill out this form and it's like, um, Eight, eight, 8626 or something like that. It's 8826, something like that. ADA 
um, improvements. And it's a very simple form. And you just make sure you have that documentation, your receipt, your invoice, and you file it. And uh, it should be, a, it's a tax credit. So it doesn't reduce the amount they owe. Uh, or yes, it reduces the amount they owe, but they don't get any money back, right? So if they owe, say they spend $10,000 with you, they get up to a $5,000 tax credit, their total tax liability is $7,000, they would only need to pay two. But if their total tax liability is $3,000, they still have to pay the $3,000. They don't get the, you know, they, they don't get any money back, right? They don't get to carry over the credit, but you can repeat the credit, right? So if you have that's, that's a- key. $5,000 website audit done every year, you can, you know, claim that can be a claim um, every year. Um, so you can, uh, yeah, that's a, it's really pretty, pretty nifty kind of credit. So. And now like the, the, the big difference there and is the difference between a credit and a deduction. And you explained that pretty well yeah. that, you know, if you have a $10,000 expense and you have a 30% uh, taxes you pay, you um, a 10,000, you get um, three uh, you, and you get a $10,000 deduction, you're only saving 3,000 in taxes. If you have a $10,000 credit, you save 10,000 in taxes. So a credit is a dollar for dollar. Um, yeah. And, and that's on, like you were explaining on so you can, you can income, get up to $5,000. Yeah. With year. this one, it's 5,000. So it's yeah, five. Yeah, yeah. So I shouldn't have said 10 is five. No, that's okay. And, but up to five. And that's great. You know, if you know that you're going to have more than uh, $5,000 in liability. Now there's some limitations. Um, you have to have either under a million in revenue or less than 30 employees. So you can have over a million in revenue, but it has to be, it's, it's intended to really help small businesses, relatively small businesses kind of make these improvements, right? So, you know, we don't need to help, you know, Clorox make, <laughs> make their website accessible because they have the resources to do that, right? But, um, you know, helping, helping small business owners do that is, it's a great benefit. So, yeah. So if you're working with somebody and this is, this is where, this is where I love uh, the, that you can make profit and impact with this. If you're working with somebody, you're charging them $5,000 and you're not doing accessibility, you can then add another $5,000 on, charge them $10,000, add in the accessibility and they'll get that $5,000 back as a tax credit. So if, if they have under a million wins. in revenue or under 30 employees, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. they're willing to, they have the cash flow to be able to pay you mm -hmm. out because they've, you've got to, they've got to pay you. got to pay it out. Yeah. And then it's maybe, you know, six months or more or more, right? Maybe it's a whole year until they get to file those taxes and, and get the credit back. So they've got to be, have enough cash flow that they're, they're willing and able to do that and, and have their bookkeeper be willing to do it, right? Or their accountant. You know, sometimes people just get really dubious about, oh, that just sounds sketchy. I'm not going to do that. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, and, that, and, that, and, and then if your accountant isn't willing to look into this, you need a new accountant because this yeah. is uh, by far a by the books deduction. I mean, this oh, totally. we're not yeah, talking yeah. we're not talking any Wesley Snipes type type accounting here. No, we're no, talking no. Something and the big key legit. is the big key is having the documentation, some kind of invoice or receipt that clearly states that it's an accessibility related, uh, uh, you know, something around and even something that language like ADA compliance or something like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and, and then it's, um, and then, 
it's it's a win for everybody because businesses love um tax credits and if 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 you're running a business and you can't use a tax credit you have much more problems than you do you know, and um, you know it's a win it's a win for the client because they get the tax credit it's a win for the development agency because they're you know uh you know you can charge more for the work you're doing you can uh you know make make some additional money um, for yourself but it's even more a win for people with disabilities because they get an accessible website. Right. And so you, and you know, that that's a, again, also a a win for the client, you know, CDC in the United States says that somewhere between 20 and 25% of all U S adults have a permanent or temporary disability. And that requires some accommodation. And so that's everything from somebody who's totally blind to somebody who's colorblind to we even start to look at things like, um, design, uh, people who have ADHD, people who are, um, who have, um, anxiety and depression who give up easily. If you have a convoluted process, uh, you know, like your, your checkout process is too confusing. Yes. Yeah. So those are, those are accessibility issues as well. So yeah, it's a, you know, everybody wins. So. Yeah, I know with my with my ADD, if, if if you give me a long form or a long page, I'm like, ah, <laughs> I don't really need this. <laughs> yeah, you check out, you give up quickly. And then things like even um, uh, reading disabilities like a dyslexia, you never want to have full justification, right? Um, when you have full justification and the words are ev- you know, even on the sides, ah. it creates these spaces in be- and they call them rivers of white. Right. They, and what the person with dyslexia sees is the continuity of all those white spaces rather than the words. Interesting. <laughs> and and Interesting. so, yeah, it's really, um, you know, and there's different tools out there for checking your site uh, with color that can show you what it looks like to people with different types of colorblindness. I have a, uh, but, well, both my brothers have some colorblindness, but one more, much more prominent than the other. And so, yeah, yeah colorblindness you know, is kind of common. I'm shocked. It is. It is. But you'd be surprised how many people, you know, uh, say, click the red or green, and then the red and the green are so dark that they are look the same to the person who's colorblind, right? Um, you want to make sure you're not um, giving, uh, not doing things, uh, messages based on color alone, right? Like, like the success message is, is that it turns something green rather than saying, thanks for submitting or something else, right? You know, uh, no, nothing just by color. So that's interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So when you said something, let me jump back to when you said something about um, that it's people with physical buildings. Now, say we have digital businesses without any physical presence. Do we need to have ADA compliant websites? Yeah, the the um, I would say the the beginning um, kind of uh, push for and the the number of lawsuits, uh, ADA based lawsuits for websites are going up every year um, that, that they have tended to initially be brick and mortar businesses. Um, so Domino's Pizza, for example, was mm-hmm. a big famous one. Um, so they have brick and mortar stores, but we also are seeing things around e-commerce. So uh, Beyonce's um, fan swag store, right, got uh, got a lawsuit, right? So uh, you 
you, you want to make sure your e-commerce stuff as well. And it typically is things where the customer has some functionality that they have a case for doing that. So the, the more your website is really just sort of a digital brochure, you're probably at a little bit lower risk. But eventually, you know, if it gives something about your website, I mean, we just had a case uh, come up uh, and, and we, we end up with lawsuits here in the United States, as opposed to places, for example, in Europe, where there have been laws enacted, <laughs> and uh, that we, we end up having them because, well, the Justice Department has not come out. So when ADA was passed in the 90s, way before lawsuits, uh, websites were a thing, right? They pretty quickly, the Justice Department came out with guidelines for what meets, um, what, what makes something accessible or not accessible. Your ramp can't have, uh, you know, has to be a certain pitch. It can't be too steep or too, you know, too steep, right? Uh, you have to have a certain mm -hmm. number of hand, hand rails, grabs or whatever, right? So there were these, these uh, guidelines. We don't have that for web accessibility, partly because there's so much gray area, but also partly it's just, uh, we've, we kind of entered an, an era in the, especially, you know, in the latter half of the nineties and on where we were, um, as a politically less inclined toward regulation of any kind. And so people have kind of stepped away from that. So it's really hard to get it enacted. So we're left with lawsuits. Um, I would say the more your site has some functionality to it, the more at risk you are, but that functionality can be something as simple as a, you know, a contact form or a whatever. And one of the lawsuits uh, just a few weeks ago, um, one of the arguments that has been made is that I don't have to make my website accessible for my business if I have a 24 seven uh, call line. If I have a 24 seven answered line where somebody can call up and ask questions about my business. <laughs> and uh, the court case in the last few weeks said, nope, that's not true. You need to have, uh, there's kind of an equal access issue there. And so, um, you know, if it's really just a brochure site and it's a click to email, you don't have a contact form, you're probably at a fairly low risk for now. But, you know, if you're doing anything e-commerce, if there's something people need to log into, um, you know, all of that, then, you know, you, you start having some requirements and all it takes is one person who runs into an issue. Now we do have what are called um, surf by lawsuits. And this is where you'll get one plaintiff, typically a blind plaintiff and one attorney who together sue dozens of people uh, often at the same time. And we had, you know, in one case there was one plaintiff, one attorney that started suing museums in the New York area, and they just were starting in the A's and working their way down the list of A's, B's, C's. And so. so they surf by, and, and though they're doing that because it's successful, because people end up settling generally, right? And so we end up without a lot of law and guidance, but certainly people trying to take advantage of that system, make a buck on it. But at the same time, there are legitimate users that run into issues. And if we don't have some lawsuits, it does not seem like we are making progress on the requirement that more things be accessible so that they can be available to more people, right? So if 
25% of all U.S. adults need some accommodation. Why wouldn't you want to increase your audience by 25%? That's kind of, you know, <laughs> um, getting people to that point um, is a bit of a struggle, but, you know, we'll get get more and more of them. But, um, but yeah, there's some kind of hierarchy in terms of the, you know, the have to be accessible. We know there's a requirement. Um, have some functionality. Probably ought to be accessible to probably fairly low risk. Interesting. Interesting. So um, I super appreciate your time here, Bet. Yeah. Um, one final question. Um, if you could go back in time and tell your 25 year old self anything, give him any bit of advice, what would it be? It's my favorite question. Oh, Pay better attention to red flags with people. Yes. So I think there have been times when, and because I was, you know, as you might imagine, because I was in nonprofit, I wanted to make a difference in the world. And sometimes you just need to walk away. And I think my 25-year-old self and certainly my 30 and 35-year-old self kind of hung on to try and fix dysfunctional situations way too often. And I've gotten to where, you know, it's, it can be pretty liberating and amazing for the team morale to fire a client when it's needed, right? You know, if the client is, you know, just being a jerk or not going to cooperate, or it's going to just make our, you know, we, we're just not going to complete this project because of the way it's sort of devolving. I have learned that I can just walk away and fire the client. I mean, not leave them hang. I mean, I certainly give them some, point them in some directions, but I don't necessarily recommend my friend, them to my friends, right? Because I don't want to wish that on anybody, but um, yeah, you know, I wish I had learned to pay attention to red flags and learn to, I don't know, I don't walk away from dysfunction all the time, but sometimes it's just more than you're going to be able to fix. No, I think that's great advice. Pay attention to the red flags, walk away from dysfunction. I think it's, uh, um, yeah, I, I love it. When it's, when it's, it's too much to fix, walk away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I love that question because, you no, know, it's a great when, question. Yeah. When, when, when you ask that you get, you know, and people have to think about it for a second. And then it's always like, you get that gut reaction, which is like, you know, so like, you know, raw. And so like, yeah, so I, I love it. So Good. maybe one day I'll do a whole podcast episode with it, with, with clip after clip Everybody's after clip takes, of everybody. Answering that would that be, question. that would be <laughs> so, cool. A little, a little, uh, a little Chiron at the bottom that with their name and their, you know, their business, that's cool. That'd be cool. Because I mean, to me, I've, I've learned so much, you know, just by asking that question. Oh, so totally. I learned I so much just by doing this podcast. I love talking to people. It's really cool. Oh, I know. It's so. great. Well, All yeah. Right. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me now. This has been great. Love chatting. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. That was the Profit and Impact Podcast with Nev Harris. For a full recap of this show, or for more info on making more profit and impact with your agency or freelance business, visit nevharris.com. If you liked this episode, show us some love. 
Give us a rating and comment over on iTunes and help Nev get the message out to more agency owners and freelancers. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.